Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Extend info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's love to 200-200. Listen, and you'll know. First of all, if you haven't heard this yet, I love this. Rod Arquette on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Doesn't it feel good to be Friday? Doesn't it feel good to be Friday? I know many of us are working from home. I know there are a lot of you. I went into the studio the other day, and traffic was still pretty good. There are a lot of people who are still going to the office every day and working probably under some restrictions but there are also a lot of people who are at home or some people unfortunately who've been furloughed or don't have a job and hopefully those jobs are going to start coming back the governor as abby just mentioned today moving the condition in the state from a red to orange that's a transition period then i think we go to yellow then i think we go to green green will basically mean we've got a handle on it and it's all over but the fact that we're moving up a step and that will take place next friday is uh I think a pretty good sign that, uh, and Fridays lately have been pretty optimistic, I think. We're getting some good news. The president sounded very optimistic today. Of course, the media jumping all over his sarcastic remark yesterday about injecting yourself with cleaner, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, but, um, you know, I think I think people are, 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 the fear is starting to leave, at least I hope it is a little bit. And, uh, okay, we've got to get going. We've got to get after this as best as we possibly can with some restrictions. And I think that's what we're we're starting to see here in the state of Utah. And that changed the governor even today. You know, I went out for the first time today. I don't think I've done this uh, since it started, maybe once before. But I actually went out uh, grocery shopping today. I went to Sam's Club with my wife. And she said, wear a mask. So, you know, to honor her uh, her request, I did. Uh, but it was interesting to see. Some people were wearing a mask. Some people weren't. Um, it wasn't that busy. There were people in the store. I, I did notice some of the shelves were empty on some of the things. And that concerns me a little bit. Or, you know, the longer this goes on, we may be battling some... Um, some food shortages. I hope not. I hope the country can get back on its feet that we don't have to deal with that. Uh, and hopefully if you haven't got the food you need, I would strongly suggest you go get some. Uh, but it was an interesting experience to be out today and just to see how people are behaving and they do kind of keep their distance a little bit. Uh, but they are shopping. They are trying to get it going. And then I noticed today as well, uh, to the fitness center I belong to, I did get a notice today, uh, saying, hey, we appreciate it. We are moving in a direction of getting to reopen. Their first and foremost concern, as it should be, are its employees and the people who work there. But uh, And there may be some changes. They didn't have all the all the uh, guidelines that they will offer, but my guess is I'm probably going to have to make an appointment to go. I think like many of you will as well. So it's kind of interesting that we're we're starting to move in a direction. It's, it's slower than we want. Um you know, I, I, I think of it like a uh, uh, a team of uh, chariot horses. I, I watched Ben-Hur a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen that movie for a long time in that chariot race. But I feel like the American people right now are this, this team of horses. And we just want to cut loose and go. 
and uh, you've got health officials and state officials, business leaders holding those reins. And, you know, you just want to get going, and they're holding us back. They're holding us back. Uh, but they're they're going to give us at least a little bit of the rain so we can get going. And that's what I think it is because I think for a lot of people, we really just want to get going. So it's going to be interesting. How are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show on this Thank Rod is Friday. Always great to be with you on a uh, Friday afternoon, 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. Or on your cell phone, all you do is have to dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, and we'll get to a lot of your calls in the uh, 5 o'clock hour. Uh, but I want to start off today with some comments people are starting to make about these lockdowns. Um Last night, I think it was on the uh, the Fox News at night with Shannon Bream, who I think is one of the real stars there of Fox News, a uh, well-known commentator, longtime ABC News correspondent, Britt Hume was on the show as a guest last night, and um, he, ma- he made a rather interesting comment. He basically pointed out that, in his opinion, it is time now to consider, to consider the possibility that all these lockdowns ordered by some states will turn into a public policy calamity. Um, He said the sustained damage to the economy and the lives of over 20 million recently unemployed Americans may not heal after implementing all these draconian measures. Listen to what he said with Shannon Bream last night on Fox News. Here's Brett Hume. I think it's time to consider the possibility, Shannon, that this lockdown, as opposed to the more moderate uh, mitigation efforts, that this lockdown is a colossal public policy calamity that the damage to the economy to businesses i see you know businesses are closing many may not reopen those jobs will be lost those businesses will be lost those incomes will be lost uh, plus the effect on children who don't have their normal life they don't have school they can't play with their friends even uh, even outdoors uh, all these things are accumulating they're not going to get better shannon they're going to get worse with time um, and as I say, many of them, we may not recover from many of these, from many of these losses for a very long time, if ever. And there is not, to my knowledge, really powerful evidence that imposing this lockdown, apart from uh, over and above the other mitigation efforts, is making any real difference. I have my doubts that it's making any difference at all. Now, Shannon, before Shannon Bream's show, of course, Tucker Carlson on, he precedes uh, Sean Hannity, and he was basically saying the same thing as well last night. He said, you know, close to half, close to half of all the virus deaths nationwide have occurred in just two states, New York and New Jersey, right? And he basically said that um, by the, you know, the, the response has been by the elites and the mainstream media. And it really shows that they only care about the cities and view rural Americans. And I consider Utah, in many respects, a rural state. You know, we do have the the metro area, the Wasatch Front, but I still, it's not one of the big metropolitan areas in the country. But he says, basically what you have now is cities versus rural Americans, and they're attacking the wrong people. As he he pointed out, uh, you know, there are a lot of people around the country and a lot of states like Utah, and you heard the numbers in Abby's newscast a moment ago, that uh, we haven't been hit as hard as a lot of these states are or have been, yet we've been asked to follow those same type of guidelines. Now, fortunately, here in this state, I think we've been pretty good. I've had some issues with some of the things they've done. Uh, this thing that Aaron Mendenhall and Salt Lake City Council did on on uh, reporting on your neighbors. I think that was ridiculous. And but I, I And I've mentioned this, and I do support what the governor did in basically saying, hey, 
you know, I'm not going to issue a statewide stay-at-home order. I'm going to leave it up to the individual jurisdictions to decide that. In Salt Lake County, Salt Lake City, what was it, Summit County, Wasatch County, um, Davis County, Weber County did it. Utah County did not do it. Uh, But I compliment the governor for letting those who are on the ground, those frontline soldiers out there, they know their communities better than anything else, and they should make that decision. And that's why I think these comments by Britt Hume and also by um, uh, Tucker Carlson last night were spot on. And this is what this is what they're talking about. There's a story out of Houston today, and basically the story is that starting on Monday uh, and for 30 days afterwards, every person in Harris County, and that's basically the Houston area, ages 10 years and older, they're going to have to wear a mask, or they could face a fine. Um, According to, and this was imposed by Harris County Judge Lena Hildago, and she said this yesterday, the latest research on this virus tells us that even if you are not symptomatic, you still could carry the virus, and so those those particles, when you sneeze, when you cough, or even just close proximity to others, you could end up being a carrier and giving it to everybody else. She made the announcement, and it's got the backing of uh, Houston's mayor, but a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, this is very unconstitutional. You can't tell people they have to wear a mask. And this is, I, I just think this is a sad note as we wrap up this monologue this afternoon. Uh, Megan McCain, who is one of the panelists on The View, and uh, she is now attacking Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Remember, L- Elizabeth Hasselbeck was on that show for a long time, a very strong conservative, right? Well, Eliz- Megan McCain is out there today saying that she will not co-host that show again if uh, if Elizabeth Hasselbeck is allowed back, and I think there's been some rumor she may. She may already be back. I don't watch the show. Uh, but she basically said, Megan McCain said, I don't want to welcome her back because of her prayer comments. Now, when this thing broke out, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, like a lot of people do, said, you know, offer your prayers for people who, that uh, for the country and for people who have been affected by this. And now Megan McCain is saying, because she said that, because she asked people to pray that she does not want her back on the show. This is where we've gotten in this country today. Sad commentary, isn't it? All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, personal reflection on how this pandemic may change you. That's coming up next right here on the Rod Arquette Show. Always great to have you all along with us on this Friday afternoon. Thank Rod, it's Friday, 888-5708010, 888-5708010. That's 888-455-3669. NMLS number 3304. Not all loans apply. Equal housing lender. All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you know, very interesting study. There are so many studies out there anymore. You almost, you know, you, you almost, they become like wallpaper. There are so many, you don't pay a lot of attention to them. But there is a very interesting one um, coming out of New York. And, of course, New York has been ground zero here in the United States when it comes to the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And the study takes a look at the, the people who are hospitalized as a result of the, uh, the pandemic and the virus. There's some very interesting, very interesting observations being made. It is not a big study. I'm not going to give it a lot of credence, but I do want to talk to you about it 
because I think when you hear studies like this, it may help you a little bit in putting all of this into the proper perspective, because I think in many cases we have it. I mean, around the country, we have been fed stories coming basically out of New York and Washington, uh, that big that, that, that corridor. Uh, the only local information you get is typically on a show like this. Uh, or other local radio shows, or even on our local news, uh, television news, they give us kind of a local angle as to what's going on. But, um, I, I, you know, I think if you look at the study, and I'm going to talk about it more in the, uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, because I think it's something to really think about. It, it does give you a different perspective on all of this, and it does make you think. I want, I, I want to see if, if you get the same thing out of it that I've been getting out of it. And as I read this today, I go, boy, this is this is one of those uh, issues that the American people are saying outside of the big metropolitan areas, saying, see what we mean. You know, we understand things are not good in your communities. Uh, we understand in New York. We understand in New Jersey. We understand in New Orleans and Detroit, even though you haven't heard a lot about them in the last couple of weeks. We understand that. But because you're having to clamp down, uh, and try and prevent the spread of COVID-19 in your communities. We have the same concerns, but we don't think we need to operate under the same draconian measures. And I think that's what a lot of America is saying. Now, today, you had the opening of uh, a lot of businesses there in, in Georgia, Brian Kemp. And even President Trump said he, he, he may have gone too far here. But uh, you have to look at this from his perspective. Um, he listened to the health experts. He listened when people were saying, don't, you know, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. And he moved in that direction. He also listened to when the president said, maybe it's time we take a look. We look at the numbers. We look at all the data that we have. And based on that, you governors make your decision. Well, he's made his decision. And uh, he is out there today. And he, you know, uh, businesses are starting to open. And they're, he is getting a lot of pushback in Georgia. Uh, and I know here in Utah, we don't care a whole lot about what's going on in Georgia. But I think it, do, it is an example of you have a governor who is trying to be a leader, who he, you know, and he's listening to these small business owners. And these small business owners are out there saying, you know, man, we need your help. We need to get back open. He listened to the hospitals hospitals there in Georgia and like around the country, you know, everything was, you know, no more elective surgeries. Uh, we got to make sure that we have enough hospital beds to treat people who are coming down with COVID-19. And they did that. But the numbers are shrinking. Here in Utah, we, we, you know, it would really have to hit us hard again to put any type of pressure on our hospitals. Our hospitals are in good shape. That's why I think the governor has announced that some of those elective surgeries will be allowed again. And that's what he's doing in, in Georgia. I mean, you've got hospitals who are laying off people, uh, people who need heart procedures, cancer treatments, uh, uh, abuse treatments, have been told to wait. And they, they really, you know, the hospitals are saying, this is where, you know, they make money. I mean, we're you know, people who have health problems are their customers and if they don't if they don't get any help you know what are we going to do all right I, I thought a lot about this and i wanted to bring my next guest on the show for just a minute because he wrote an interesting article today about how covid19 
is kind of exposing our world of pleasure, yet what is it doing to our soul? And I'm talking right now with uh, Ralph Hancock, Professor of Political Science at BYU. Ralph, how are you? And welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Good. Uh, Thanks for reading my article and having me on the show. Is it time, Ralph, I mean, is this a good time, do you think, to have a little personal reflection about what we're learning about ourselves during this pandemic? Oh, I think it's a great time for us, uh, I would say, individually and collectively, as uh, families, communities, as uh, as nations. Uh, this has really thrown a wrench in our works, you might say, or th- thrown us off stride, at least. Uh, I, su- I-, I suppose my life as a professor has been minimally uh, disrupted, but still, these are strange times for everyone, and I think it's a good time to reflect on what's really important and what's not so important, Uh, and and I hope we'll come out of this with a little little better, deeper perspective on what it's all about. Yes, I think it is a good time. Yeah, I hope we do too as well, Ralph. Uh, Ralph, you wrote, and I love the article and many of the points you made. I just want to touch on one or two of them. Um, In your opinion, are we forgetting that we have the talent to solve our own problems, that we don't need to be as dependent on others as we seem to be now, but we have that talent, and have we forgotten we have that talent? Uh, Well, that's a good question. We certainly are dependent and interdependent and uh, there's no way to wave that away we are we are certainly physically interdependent i mean i i explained how how lucky i felt to be able to put in an online order to the grocery store oh, yeah, just up yeah, the road yeah. and to go down there uh, i i didn't i don't know how to cook my food i barely know how to if i killed a beast i barely know what to do with it uh and i'm i'm not uh alone in this but i think Really, the the independence in terms of our talents, uh, it, it's good to it's good to cultivate self reliance in every respect and learn how to learn how to do stuff like uh, planting garden uh, gardens and developing practical life skills. But I, I really think more fundamentally, we need to develop a kind of uh, it's going to sound uh, highfalutin or even mystical, but a kind of uh, spiritual self-sufficiency and a certain capacity to uh, uh, detach ourselves from the uh, inevitable ups and downs that depend upon larger systems over which we have no control. So that's really what I'm talking about. I'm I'm all for more practical self-sufficiency, though I don't claim much talent (laughs) for myself. But really, it's really a self-sufficiency you know, the ancients would have said a, self, a self-sufficiency uh, of the soul, a kind of groundedness that uh, helps us have perspective on what's really important and what is not so essential. Yeah, it is. Ralph, I wish we had more time with you. Thank you very much for a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Okay. Thanks for All having right. me. All right, on our Newsmaker Line, that's Ralph Hancock, professor of political science at BYU, talking about maybe a time for reflection. Maybe uh, to think about the better angels within us all and make sure we beat back the brood. 250 different devices. Here when you need us. And always free. Download the iHeartRadio app now. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Rod Arquette Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Senator Mitt Romney will be joining us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. He'll be talking about his uh, op-ed in the Washington Post today about how the coronavirus may be waking up the U.S. and the rest of the world to the Chinese threat of world dominance. We'll talk about that coming up with the Senator at 5.05. The governor announcing just a short time ago that uh, by next week he thinks we'll be moving from red to orange meaning that things will start slowly opening up here in the state of Utah. Maybe, how about dining in at your favorite restaurant? It may, in fact, start happening sometime next week, at the end of next week. And that's why I wanted to bring Michelle Corigliano, Executive Director of the Salt Lake Area Restaurant Association, back on the show with us. Michelle, how are you, and welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for everything that you do for the independent restaurants here. Well, thank you very much. Anything we can do to help, of course, we're behind it, Michelle. Michelle, what will, if in fact things start changing at the end of next week, what will dining be like in restaurants during this transition period? Yeah, so that's a good question. So we know for sure that tables are going to have to be six feet apart, and there will be limits of the number in each group. Um, Right now it's six. We think it might be ten, so between six and ten is the limit. Um, can't wait in the waiting area. You're going to have to wait outside until, you know, the, the restaurant texts you to come in for your table. There's going to be a lot of changes. I mean, uh, in the back, those are the kind of things that um, guests will see. Back of the house, it's a lot more strict. Um, things like managers going to have to test themselves and all the employees coming in, including taking their temperature. They're going to have to wear masks. Um, you know, Guess we'll see the wait staff coming out with masks on, and we're hoping that everyone understands that and is not put off by it. But you know, it's it's what we have to do. So yeah, things like I, that. Yeah, I, and I think people will be more uh, receptive to that. I think people will understand that for the most part. But with these restrictions, um, do you get a sense that the restaurant owners are still willing to open, even though things are going to be a little bit different? Yeah, that's a good question. There are a lot of restaurants that are choosing not to open quite yet based on their own um, personal feeling about when is the right time or whether they have funds or whatever. I mean, I think their decision is a good decision for them. Um, Meanwhile, 
I have talked to many, many restaurants, and they are just so ready to get back into the restaurant scene. You know, this is what they do for a living. This is what they live in their bones. And with all the safety precautions that the health department has set forth, they're willing to step up and make sure that everything's done. And, yeah, there's a lot that really want to open. But there are some who are skeptical, and I think that that's completely understandable, is it not? Oh, totally fair. And and even with the governor not really giving a lot of notice, so here today I believe he said that it's going to be next Friday unless it's ne- not next Friday. And <laughs> so to be able to order and have enough supplies on hand to be able to order produce and everything, restaurants really need a lot more time to prepare than less than a week. So, uh, you know, the ones that don't open, uh, you know, just have different business models where they just have to take a little bit more time. Michelle, I know the association took a survey recently talking to the restaurant owners and some of their opinions on a, a variety of things. And one of them, I think, that I found interesting was the question about will they make money even with these restrictions? Are they going? How, how are they going to do? I mean, will they at least, if nothing else, break even if they're allowed to open with these restrictions? Well, first, I will say that I'm very flattered that you read our newsletters. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I very, well, not many at all believe that they're going to make money doing this. What they want to do is get their employees back to work, give them jobs, um, and get things rolling. They understand that it's going to be a slow process little by little. Um, but, you know, it's... it's uh, they're going to break even or lose money. Yes. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. they said. It's a, it's <laughs> I don't know what one. to say about that. Yeah. What, ab- yeah. what about, uh, Michelle, what about getting the employees to come back? Because there are stories out there that many of them are saying, hey, I'm going to stay home for a little while longer. I'm making more money uh, being unemployed than I would if I was employed. Have they? Have you heard anything about yeah. that from the local restaurant yeah. owners? And and that is the truth. There are a lot of employees are say, that are saying they're making more money this way. The restaurant and bar owners that I have spoken to said that they have enough employees on this first phase that really want to work, really like to be around people, really like to um, not sit at home and collect money without working. So uh, the ones that I have spoken to said, yes, they have enough employees to bring back. Now, remember, the the spacing, um, these restaurants are only going to be able to open up less than 50% of the restaurant, probably more like 30%. So because of that, they're not going to need as many employees to start out. But their key employees want to come back. And that's good news. Yeah, that's good news. It is. Michelle, good good luck with this. We love to get these restaurants open. We have some great restaurants uh, up and down the Wasatch Front, and in particular the Salt Lake City area. So hopefully we can get things going here slowly and safely, but hopefully get them going. Michelle, thank you, and have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, Michelle Corigliano, she's executive director of the Salt Lake Area Restaurant Association, talking about uh, dining in Utah if, in fact, the governor opens up things next week. And it probably, you know, and you don't think about this, but, you know, they have to have produce, they have to have supplies ready and <laughs> ready and raring to go to open up a restaurant. And it may take a day or two, it may not be next weekend, maybe the following weekend, but just getting them back open, I think, will uh, lift our spirits just a little bit more. Coming up on the Rod Arquette Show, Mitt Romney is joining us at 5.05. That's coming up, and there's some news coming up. 568-2790. That's 800-568-2790. 800-568-2790. 
It's Thank God It's Friday here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. KNRS, listen, you'll know. Senator Mitt Romney will join us coming up at 5.05. The uh, Utah senator wrote a very interesting piece for the Washington Post today talking about China's efforts to dominate the world and how may they may be using this uh, pandemic in an effort to do just that and why the U.S. and the rest of the world need to get together to counter what China is trying to do. That's coming up at 5.05. A couple of notes I want to pass along to you. First of all, uh, Pennsylvania, this interesting, and uh, I think we had a caller talk about this, maybe even yesterday, someone involved in the healthcare industry about how they're recording deaths now. But the, uh, the state of Pennsylvania has now corrected its coronavirus data multiple times over the last week to account for irregularities. That's according to a a new report out tonight. Here's what they found. Earlier this week, Pennsylvania started to include probable deaths in its fatalities. And as a result, the number of coronavirus deaths grew by 276 in a two-night period. Then it grew again by 360, uh, almost doubling the number of the deaths in the state in just two days. Well, the Pennsylvania Department of Health subsequently removed 200 deaths from its count after facing mounting questions about the accuracy of the count. The health secretary there in uh, Pennsylvania uh, spoke about the initial decision as well as the decision to later remove the count. So the numbers out there are confusing as well, and we're seeing that in other states. And one other note before we check entertainment news tonight with uh, AJ, Um, um, Axios Jonathan Swain, who is a co-founder of Axios, reporting tonight that President Trump is apparently planning to pare back his coronavirus press conferences. That's according to four sources familiar with it. Uh, he may stop appearing daily and make shorter appearances when he does. That's according to the sources. Apparently, the president's press conferences televised to a largely homebound population have really generated huge public ratings. But advisors saying you're kind of maybe overexposing yourself just a little bit and you may want to back off. So uh, what we're hearing tonight is, in fact, he may pare down uh, his appearance and the length of those in the coming week or the following week. All right, time now for entertainment news. Hollywood. Major Hollywood news. Now we're heading into the weekend. Normally this time we'd be spending time talking about the opening of big movies. It's that time of year, but... Not so this weekend, huh, AJ? We, we, we do have the new, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris, Chris Hemsworth, Hemsworth movie, Extraction. Yeah, yeah. Which will, like I said yesterday, probably going to be the biggest movie of the weekend because yeah. you know, nobody's going to the movies. So sit at home and watch it. Yeah. We binged a couple episodes of Ozark last night. I am deeply enthralled in that show. Man, this is the golden age of television, Rod. We have so many things to choose yeah. from that are all thousands of times better than any of the best television was 20 years ago. You know, what's interesting too, uh, AJ is a lot of it. We're watching it on streaming channels. I mean, yeah, yeah. think about it. Netflix, Amazon prime. Uh, they're really, you know, Apple TV. They're coming up with some fantastic series that would never make it on network television. Well, you've got writers that are now, you know, able to play so many different, cards all at yeah, the same time, yeah, if you yeah. will, that can work for all of these different companies all at the same time. So you get a lot more content, yeah. which is cool, too. Uh, Corona DeVries is an Australian eight-year-old boy. His first name, Corona. That's right. He has gotten to be a pen pal of Tom Hanks, who you remember was diagnosed with COVID <laughs> yeah, yeah. in Australia. Huh. 
And he wrote Tom Hanks a letter, I guess. This was you know weeks ago when Tom was first diagnosed. He says, are you okay? I've been kind of bullied about my name lately. Well, Tom started writing him back, and they got to be good friends. And lo and behold, Tom, of course, comes back to the United States and sees on his shelf this old typewriter, an old, old typewriter that's kind of just been nostalgic to him, kind of a, a talking piece to have in your living room. Yeah, and yeah. He decided he wanted to send that typewriter to his new pen pal. Oh, and so nice. he did, this vintage typewriter, and with a note that says, you've got a friend in me. Ah, uh, that's nice. So Tom, That's nice. Tom Hanks is yeah. just one of the coolest cats cool that ever cool walked the earth, man. How are they doing? How Love are him that. and his wife doing health-wise? they okay now? They're doing fine. There's yeah, going to be another, uh, what do you call it, uh, Saturday Night Live this weekend. So I think, <laughs> just ask him to host it again. He's like, I got nothing else going on. Why not? I'll host <laughs> Why not? There's going to be a Parks and Rec episode, too, which is going to be coming out here in a few weeks. The yeah. show's, of course, been off the air for a while, but they have rewritten a new script for all the cast members to essentially do an episode that is a, like a Zoom meeting. Hey. You <laughs> know what? Awesome. It was, it was even awesome. fun watching the NFL draft last night, for crying out loud, because yeah. it was something new and different. I loved it. Yeah. Now all they got to do is bring back a new office episode. Yeah, there you go. Next in info, standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's thanks to 200-200. It is Thank Rod. It's Friday on the Rod Arquette Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listening in, you know, doing all we can to connect you to the latest information out there concerning the COVID-19 pandemic and all that information. There's a new study out that I want to talk to you about here in uh, in uh, just a few minutes, and we'll get to your phone calls the way we normally do every Friday. I do want to mention this story that is coming out of California. A uh, federal judge there has now struck down a California law requiring background checks for buying ammunition and said it violates the citizen's Second Amendment right to bear arms. Uh, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez in San Diego ruled in favor of the California Rifle and Pistol Association and six-time Olympic medalist skeet shooter Kim Rode, who asked that the halt to the background checks and related restrictions on ammo sales. Benitez blocked the ammunition law, calling it constitutionally defective. And apparently, uh, here in the state, there was a, a, a massive food drive today for the uh, Utah Food Bank, and E-Ray was coming in. And he comes in from the south end of the uh, counter off the uh, west side of I-215 and could hardly get into the station today because he said the roads were blocked. Apparently, a lot of people were showing up and donating food to the Utah Food Bank, a real challenge right now for the food bank to uh, keep up with the demand. And that was nice to hear today. I'm not sure who was involved in all of that, but I thought it was a terrific idea. And uh, everybody that was lined up to do that today, kudos to um, to you. All right. Um I think what has happened with this uh, coronavirus pandemic and the fact that it came out of China and how dependent the United States has become on China, has become on China for so many things that has really caused a concern. And today, in the Washington Post, Utah Senator Mitt Romney wrote an article, an op-ed piece about that, basically saying America is awakening to China. And he said, this is a clarion call to seize the moment. I spoke with Senator Romney on our Newsmaker line just a short time ago, and I talked about the fact that the uh, pandemic has revealed that to a great degree, 
Our very health is in China's hands, if you think about it, from medicines to face masks. We are at Beijing's mercy. And I asked the senator if it's a real problem for the United States to put all our eggs into the China basket. It really is. I mean, I, I find myself a bit stunned when I'm told that all of our penicillin comes from China uh, and that if we really had a bacterial infection, uh, why we'd have to go to China to ask for help. And clearly, with regards to COVID-19, uh, masks and gowns and so forth that were necessary to protect our healthcare workers, they were coming from China and they held them up in many cases. They wanted them for their own people, not for us. It's really it's inexcusable that we've allowed ourselves to become so beholden uh, to a country that's not always been our friend. How difficult is it going to be to get the U.S. and really the rest of the world behind an effort to take a different approach with China after this thing is all over and whenever it ends? I mean, how difficult is that going to be? Well, I think it has to be done not just by the United States, but I think we are the leader of the free world. And as a, as a result of that, we need to call together other nations that live by the rules and I'm talking about South Korea and Japan, Australia, as well as European nations and so forth, and say, look, we need to come together and talk about how we're going to deal with China because they're not playing by the rules. They don't live by the same principles that the rest of the world lives by, and we simply can't have them think they have complete free access to all of our markets if they're not going to play by the rules because, you know, frankly, you don't have free trade if one of the players is not uh, playing by the rules. So this is going to take the nations of the world coming together, and it may well be that the COVID-19 crisis has been a wake-up call for some people who've been asleep too long, thinking that China is just like everybody else. We keep on hearing about China's growing influence around the world, but especially in Africa. Mitt, what can you tell us about that and their influence in Africa? Well, throughout Africa, as well as the Middle East, um, and uh, as far as you know, Pakistan and Bangladesh and India, uh, they're building uh, highways as well as ports. Uh, they built ports in the major uh, uh, crossroads throughout the uh, international community. And in Africa, doing the same thing. The Horn of Africa, they've got ports there. They're spending a trillion dollars in infrastructure, not in their own country, but in other countries, as we sit here wondering whether we can spend it at home. They're spending that kind of money because they want to lock down the key rare earths that are necessary for uh, building the products of the future. So they're, they're building for their future such that they can be the economic powerhouse of the world. And, uh, and we're sitting here focused entirely internally without thinking about the strategic moves that China's taking. And the, the free world needs to wake up and say, gosh, we've got to begin making some of these moves. We've got to make sure that we counter China in getting these extraordinarily essential ingredients for a world economy. What kind of a mistake do you think we've made in assuming that if we do more and more business with China, and maybe the world as well, it would move China toward a more free society? How big of a mistake has that been? Well, there's no question that was a big mistake, and I don't know that uh, uh, anyone foresaw what would happen. The view was that if we let China participate as a member of the G20 and, and uh, participate in, in, uh, in global trade, that they would uh, ultimately adopt not just free enterprise, but freedom. And instead, they adopted a form of capitalism, kind of cowboy capitalism, without rules that the rest of us play by. And instead of adopting freedom, they become even more authoritarian uh, with lifetime uh, leadership by Xi Jinping, um, by uh, cracking down on any dissent within, the, within their country, uh, by persecuting minorities within their country. They're, 
they're taking a very uh, uh, serious and somber direction. And it was a miscalculation on our part and on the part of a lot of other people, well-meaning. It's time to recognize we made a mistake and correct it. What kind of approach should we take um, to American businesses and maybe businesses from around the world that are currently doing business with China, locating their plants in China, or thinking about it and convincing them, well, maybe you don't want to go there. Should we even go that far? Well, you know, it's a uh, it's always a dilemma, uh, and that is, gee, maybe if I go there as a company, I can get an advantage, and and I'll be a little more profitable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and what and with with each company thinking the same way, you end up having China get uh, all the goodies. And instead, we're going to have to, I think, reach a conclusion among the free nations and the nations that abide by the rules of trade to say, guys, we're going to have to all play by the same rules. We're going to have to all confront China in the same way. As long as we don't cheat on one another and we stand together, we can hopefully get China to be dissuaded from their course of predatory action. They're a, uh, an unfair player. Uh, they are- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Are intending on becoming the strongest economy and military in the world, and we simply can't let that happen without standing together. If some companies decide to pull back from China, maybe move to other uh, countries around the world or even back to the United States. But in the course of doing that, prices are higher and Americans have to pay more for the goods that we want that normally we'd be getting a lot cheaper because they were made in China. Will the American consumer accept that? Well, you know, I, I don't believe the prices will be that much ha- higher because many of the things that we uh, we receive that are manufactured goods are, are automated today and don't have a lot of uh, personal input. I, I, I remember asking a executive at a steel company, you know, how in the world can you compete with Chinese steel? He said, easy. He said, China has 12 man hours per ton of steel. He said, we have one quarter of one man hour per ton of steel. Wow. We're so much more automated than they are. So we, we can we can compete. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize you you can't pay the cannibal to eat you last um, because you'll ultimately get, eat, get eaten. The best thing to do is confront the cannibal right up front. And, <laughs> and China has been, has been eating our lunch along the way here, and we have to join together with other free nations using our collective uh, market strength to say, enough, China. You can't keep doing what you've been doing, playing on an unfair basis, taking over businesses, driving American and other free uh, country businesses out of business, uh, we're not going to let that happen. You've got to play by the rules. And by the way, if you play by the rules and you win, fine. But you can't keep cheating and expect us to look the other way to save a few dollars. 
One other note I want to ask you about, Mitt. I noticed you have joined other senators in calling for an investigation into the World Health Organization and what's been going on with China and COVID-19. What are you hoping to achieve with that? What do you think the U.S. should do? Well, I believe it's uh, part of China's uh, playbook right now to push themselves into almost every international organization so that they can bend those organizations to their will. In some cases, it'll be with their money. In other cases, it's with their own personnel. And uh, and when the U.S. turns and says, hey, we're not interested, interested in international affairs or international bodies, why, they'll just jump right in and take our place. And, uh, you know, I don't know at this stage what influence they had on the World Health Organization and how slow they were in sounding the alarm about COVID-19. But I'd like to find out what influence they had, uh, because it's pretty clear that uh, with COVID-19 originating in China, they did not let us know as quickly as they could have uh, that uh, that we had a, uh, a potential pandemic on our hands. Uh, and, uh, and as a result of their slow communication of this and the WHO not getting it to us as quickly as they could have, uh, there's been a lot of death and destruction of the economies throughout the world. On our Newsmaker line, Utah Senator Mitt Romney, we spoke with him earlier about an op-ed piece today in the uh, in the Washington Post in which he basically said this is a great time for America to rethink and maybe redo its relationship with China as a result of this uh, pandemic. Now, when we come back, firestorm created yesterday when the president sarcastically suggested that we use cleaning fluids to fight COVID-19. Well, there's somebody else who's already done it. Wait till you hear who that is. We'll talk to you about this new study about people who've been hospitalized with COVID-19 and, of course, your phone calls. It is Thank Rod, It's Friday. Talk about whatever is on your mind tonight. That's coming up next on the Rod Arquette Show, 888-570-8010, That's 888-455-3669. NMLS number 3304. Not all loans apply. Equal housing lender. Thank Rod, it's Friday. It's Friday. Thank Rod, it's Friday. All right, all right, everybody, here's your chance. It is the Rod Arquette Show on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. Can't arrest, listen, you'll know. And we call this Thank Rod, it's Friday. 888-570-8010. And on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod, this one we open up the phones to you. And uh, let you talk about whatever is on your mind tonight. Uh, it's always fun. You know, we have, you listeners are just great. And the concerns you share, I think, are justified. I think uh, the observations you make, you're very keen in your observations. And that's why, we, that's why we like to give you a chance to talk about whatever that you want to talk about tonight. 888-570-8010. 888-570-8010. Or on your cell phone, dial pound 250. Now, a couple of notes I want to make. Then we'll start getting to your phone calls. You know, the media and everybody had a field day yesterday with President Trump. Trump, of course, suggested maybe we inject bleach into our bodies to kill coronavirus. The White House, of course, backtracked on that today. Said the... Um, said the uh, president was being sarcastic, even though the media, you know, calling him the guy is nuts, you know, and he suggests this. How does he dare do that? Well, guess what? Um, Christina Cuomo, name ring a bell, name ring a bell. That's right. She is the wife of Chris Cuomo, the CNN host, and uh, who is getting a lot of attention because of his dramatic escape from the basement as a result of uh, coronavirus and the fact that, you know, he wasn't really 
in his basement. He was out at the Hamptons at his second home out there and had a confrontation with some biker out there. But apparently his wife, Christina Cuomo, has now admitted that she bathes in Clorox. (laughs) That's right. She is quoted as saying, I had a small amount, maybe a quarter to a half cup only, of Clorox to a full bath of warm water, about 80 gallons. And she says, you know, it's good. She was following the advice of her doctor, energy medicine, and homeopathic physician, and who suggested you take a bath and add a tiny amount of bleach, uh, and it will help you out. So, well, everybody was making fun of the president for suggesting, you know, maybe you should inject a little bleach into yourself. And the media went, oh, you know, that's what is he thinking about? That'll kill you. Well, now we understand that Christina Cuomo bathes in the stuff. Interesting. All right. Uh, I want to bring this up, and then we'll get to your phone calls. 888-570-8010. 888-570-8010. Because I want you to kind of help me analyze this, if you would. Um, there is a study out today, and the study, and there's daily studies, of course, on what's going on here. But this is the one I found interesting, and I want to get your reaction, what you think of this, because I've got an opinion on this as well. The study of a thousand, uh, a new study of thousands of hospitalized coronavirus patients in New York, the epicenter of the outbreak, has found that nearly all of them, all of them, had at least one major chronic health condition, and most, 88%, had at least two. And say that again, so you take that in. The study found that nearly all of them, people who were hospitalized, because of the coronavirus pandemic, had at least one major chronic health condition, and most, 88%, had two. Though earlier research had shown, I'm reading this story today, though earlier research had shown that chronic conditions like obesity, high blood pressure, and diabetes are common risk for severe COVID-19, the ubiquity of the serious medical conditions in these patients was striking. Only 6% of them had underlying conditions. So what does that say to you about coronavirus? To me, it says if you're a healthy individual, you will most likely be able to fight this thing off on your own without being hospitalized. And if you have an underlying health condition, that's where you need to isolate yourself. We've had it in Utah. Now, I'm not sure of a similar study in Utah, but who are those who have died as a result of COVID-19. People with underlying health conditions, most of them over 60 years old. And boy, I start thinking about that and go, wait a minute, you know, these arguments that maybe we have gone a little too far, hold some water. All right, thank God it's Friday, 888 on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's go to the phones. We begin this afternoon in Salt Lake City with Jay. Jay, how are you? And welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Rod? I'm great, Jim. Uh, Thank you. I just I mentioned to your call screener that uh, it really burns me that uh, some people are losing their jobs over all of this. But the mayor and the governor haven't missed a paycheck. The uh, school teachers they haven't missed a paycheck, and it's totally unfair. So the pain gets distributed. Uh, without any equity. And I think, Jay, that's what rubs people the wrong way, like yourself. They're saying, wait a minute, you know, you've got jobs, you're getting a paycheck, but I'm out here, my business is, you know, near collapse. 
Uh, I'm laying off employees. Those poor employees who may, they may never come back because my business may not be here. Those are the ones who's suffering, Jay. And I think that is what's wrong with this. And nobody has thought about this, have they, Jay? Well, certainly nobody has talked about it. Uh, there's another one that goes with that same group. Uh, I've got grandkids in elementary school down in Utah County. And uh, for the last little while here, their schooling is... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Is two hours online with the teacher and so on and so forth. Now, you know, if I only work two hours a day and I brought home a full paycheck, I don't think I could feel very good about that. <laughs> but that's what's happening. Yeah, it is. All right, Jay, thank you. Appreciate your call. Let's go to Syracuse on Thank God It's Friday and talk with Monica tonight. Monica, how are you and welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks, Rod. Hey, I just wanted to comment, and I think it's pretty important that we phrase things correctly because people get kind of scared and paranoid about things. But you were mentioning um, the idea that the President Trump had said you need to shoot up yourself with Clorox, and that's <laughs> yeah. not what he said. What he was saying is like, hey, you know, why don't we test this, right? Because we need to put a lot of options out there so people stop being scared of this because it's not going to, you know, we have data now that is showing that 99% of the people that get it are going to be fine, that they're going to make it. But if we keep on throwing stuff and, you know, use the misrepresentations from the press, then I think people are going to get, you know, freaked out. And you never really know, you know, what people listen to sometimes. And, you know, you did have the example of the guy that had the fish tank cleaner that he swallowed, and oh, that yeah. was never even, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think it's pretty important. And I, I love your show, and I love the comments that you make, but I just think it's pretty important that we phrase it so people could get it. And he was just... You know, one of the things that we're telling him about, you know, using ultraviolet rays, which yeah. are like, you know, yeah. we're even using those on iPhones now to clean them, right? So there are procedures apparently in a couple of labs where they are testing the ability of being able to do this ultraviolet rays to treat people and be able to put it through their tubes when they're intubated, and that might help with stuff. So I think his thing was, like, suggesting, like, hey, you know, maybe we could look into this. He wasn't saying, go shoot yeah, yourself yeah. up with Clara. Let's, let's you know what I mean? Yep, Monica, yeah. correction so I noted. I appreciate part. you calling in. <laughs> correction noted, Monica. I appreciate you calling in. And by the way, thank you for your phone call, Monica. And by the way, remember the story about the guy who drank the fish tank cleaner or whatever it was? Did it ever get reported that that guy was a big Democratic supporter? All right, more coming up on Thank God It's Friday. Phones are open to you, 888-570-8010, or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod, we'll get to more of your calls and comments coming up. Right here on Utah's 5 South State or 4360 South State or shop online at ParisRV.com. 
Thank Rod, it's Friday. It's Friday. Thank Rod, it's Friday. All right, welcome back. Thank Rod, it's Friday on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Be a part of the program today by dialing 888-570-8010. 888-570-8010. Or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod, don't forget, starting a week from Monday, for three successive days, I'll be recognizing nurses or healthcare workers who've really had an impact in their communities. It's all part of our celebration of National Nurses Day, which comes up on Wednesday, May 6th. And uh, so if you know a nurse or a healthcare worker who is really making a difference, just go online, go to our website at knrs.com, and you'll see the little tab where you can go to National Nurses Day. And in 250 words or less, just tell us what this nurse or healthcare worker has been doing to make a difference, because we want to recognize them. And uh, starting on May 4th, that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I will be reading the name of one of those nurses every hour. We'll select 12, and um, we will award those nurses we recognize with a brand new designer blanket from Minky Couture. They are wonderful blankets. What a wonderful gift as well for Mother's Day. But uh, just go to our website at knrs.com and uh, check it out. Should be a lot of fun here in a couple of weeks. All right, back to the phones we go here on Thank Rod. It's Friday, 888-570-8010 is your number to call or on your cell phone. Dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's go to Tremonton and hear what Russ has to say tonight. Russ, how are you? Welcome to the show. Good, sir. I'm good, thanks. Um, I got a quick question. Listening to Romney about this, politicians are always good to say uh, special fancy words, but tell me, Rod, and, and anybody else that says they're a free market capitalist and supports free enterprise and trade, what does Romney mean then when he says China's not playing by the rules? Uh, Define good that point. because politicians are always lovely, and even the president say, oh, the, the China, China's doing this and that. They never define what they're doing, but what do you think it is, Rod? Well, I think what they're doing is they're just, uh, first of all, from what I understand, uh, Russ, is the uh, the stealing of the uh, the uh, the intellectual property is a big, big issue, okay? And they're stealing that. Yep. They also make okay. it so easy for businesses to locate there, and this is where the free market comes in, and I agree with you on this, Russ, where they make it easy to come in, build a factory, They've got what a gazillion people over there. They pay them absolutely nothing, so no they can produce they can produce their products for absolutely nothing, and and sell them here in the United States at a much cheaper price than probably we could here in the United States. And I agree with you. I mean, you know, if these businesses want to do harm to China, you know, well, stay in the United States, make your product here, and make yeah. it as as effectively as as cost effectively as you can. That's what needs to be done. Yep. Well, yeah, and so I agree with that. And so at the heart of this, it's all about comparative advantage, right? So yeah. that's, and those, those items are legitimate. But so think of the first one. Intellectual property is oftentimes uh, brought up. Um, and, I mean, people, as a business owner, you need to look at it, is dealing with the devil in your best interest for gain to open more markets and um, access to lower labor costs, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's their freedom to choose as a businessman, right? So, one, you need to leave that in their hands and say, I'm going to sell my soul to the devil, which means my property rights and the, my inventions if I open up access to China. So it's that, that to me, we need to leave it to business owners to decide that for themselves, not government. But second of all, go back to the answer of the comparative advantage. If it's cheaper to build labor over there, why isn't nobody paying 
why on earth aren't we making it a better incentive then to do business in the United States? I mean, yeah. you heard Mitt Romney say, yep. "Oh, uh, we can all be, uh, we can do it for less here because it's automated." But it's like the government's not saying, "What are we doing to bring businesses back?" Instead, they're saying, "Well, it's too cheap to do business over there. Let's make restrictions on doing business over there, and so people have to pay higher costs." Yeah, or, yeah. that's a very good I mean, point. In the end, it's the yeah. consumer that loses. Yeah, it's a very good point, Russ. The other thing that I that I that I brought up, Russ, and I want to get your reaction to this because I know you have an interest here. It sounds like you do. You know, I'm not. You know, what is it about America that we think if we go and kissy face with the Chinese and be nice to them and allow things to happen in China and bring up their economy, that someday they'll want to be the United States of America and throw away communism? What on earth kind of thinking is that? I doubt that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's mass and mind thing. And at the end, but at the end of the day, you know, you look at our version of uh, America first. China is doing China first. I mean, yep. at the end of the day, so I mean, it, it's beneficial to trade. I mean, and and real true free trade incentivizes world peace. But you got to understand who you're dealing with. It's not a free uh, free nation dealing with another free nation. You're dealing with communists. So that should be in the back of your mind as a businessman. Of should I take that risk? And it's like yeah. at the end of the day, you got to if you got to decide that. So. Yeah, that's right. Good call, Russ. Thank you. Uh, have a nice weekend. Thanks for joining us tonight. Let's go to Ed in Layton tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Ed, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Hey, I wanted to just, I just wanted to uh, say something about that a uh, couple callers ago saying that teachers are only working a couple hours. Hey, I'm a, I'm a junior high principal here in Layton. And I've got 50-plus teachers, and I'll tell you right now, they're not working just a couple hours. They are working from home, as the governor has told us to do. And they've got, you know, myself, I work a lot more hours now, having to do everything online from home. And my teachers are working their behinds off to try and get the education out to the students. And so they're working a lot of hours, and they're earning what what is taking what is taking more of their time than usually would Ed? Can you kind of explain and share that with our listeners? Um, what is what is taking sure. more of their time? What takes a lot more of the time is the individualization when you're at school, and that's where the teachers want to be. The teachers want to be at school with their kids, and when you're at the school and you teach a lesson, and you got let's say six or seven students that don't get it. They're all there, and you can either talk to them individually or you can talk to them as a small group. At home, they're calling students, and students are calling them and emailing them with questions. And, of course, doing it online just takes more time when they have to call each kid that doesn't get a particular concept. Or they email those kids, and then the kids email them back. And a final question before I let you go. What, yeah, that's what's taking a lot of their time. I, I understand that, the individualized training. Ed, you're an educator. You're a principal. Do you think this is going to change how education may be done in the future? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it will. Um, my superintendent and the school district already talks about that there's that possibility. What's going to happen next year when we have parents that say, I don't think school feels safe. I don't, you know, even if the pandemic's done. You know, I don't feel safe yeah. sending my kid to school. Or how are we supposed to do assemblies? Or they've talked to us about multiple... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Well, lunches and uh, letting kids out at different times, you know, between classes instead of all at once. And so there's going to be a lot more individualization. Hey, I just want to say, Rod, I consider myself kind of a Democrat. Uh-huh. But uh, I listen to you all the time because I think you have a lot of smart things that you say. And I voted for Governor Herbert the last two or three times, and I'm going to vote for Go- uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox. Because even though I don't consider myself a Republican, I consider them good men doing a good job and leading our state in the right direction. And I appreciate the things that you do as well. All right, Ed, but that's I just very kind to of you. Stick up for teachers. All right, Ed, thank you. I have a son who's a teacher, so I appreciate that as well, Ed, and thank you for those kind words. You know, by the way, I forgot to mention the Republican convention, Democratic conventions are underway. It's going to be interesting to see how many people come out of that convention and head to the primary at the end of June. More coming up and more of your phone calls coming up on Thank Rod It's Friday, 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010, or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. All right, let's talk about what the state of Utah is doing right now in dealing with COVID-19. The governor announced today, if the trends continue and if we put proper workplace protocols and monitoring in place, and if we continue to secure needed hospital supplies, we foresee the opportunity, he said that today, possibly as early as next Friday, to begin gradually relaxing restrictions and reassessing the impact of this virus. Now, some of the first things that could open with health guidelines in early May could include sit-down dining. We already talked with Michelle Corigliano from the Salt Lake Restaurant Association about what's going to happen there. Resuming elective surgeries, very, very important. That has already been lifted in the process of doing it. Everybody wants to get back to the gym. As a matter of fact, the fitness center that I belong to sent out a note today saying, stand by, we're getting ready, we'll give you details coming up. So things are moving in the right direction, but of course we need to be vigilant, we need to be smart to make sure we wash our hands, social distance. You know, some people, if you want to wear a mask, that's what's being suggested as well. And if we can get through this, I think we can move quickly and get back to life as normal. If you'd like more information on what the state of Utah is doing with Utah Leads Together 2.0, just go to their website, coronavirus.utah. Support experts in Farmington, Riverton, and Sandy. Call 1-800-NEW-FEET or visit goodfeetnw.com. It's Friday. Thank Rod, it's Friday. 
All right, coming up in the uh, 6 o'clock hour tonight, we'll talk with uh, State Senator Dan Hammert about uh, he serves on the commission, one of the many committees the governor has asked or has appointed to look at, you know, every facet of uh, Utah, be it health, be it education, certainly the economy. And they have come up with a list of recommendations based on data about what it is going to take to start bringing business back here in the state of Utah. You know, I... I'm excited about this, folks. I I, I want to get going. And uh, Dan Hemmert, a, a great guy, will join us coming up at 6.05. He'll talk about that. And I get, I bet you wonder about this as well, and I do as well. What has made coronavirus so different from other viruses over the past several decades that we've had to face? You know, and I'm thinking about the swine flu. I'm thinking about the Hong Kong flu, about uh, MERS and... Uh, and uh, uh, all these viruses that we've confronted, why is this one so different? Why has it caused us, the world, to shut down because of this? We'll explore that as well coming up on the uh, on the Rod Arquette Show here in the 6 o'clock hour. Of course, big news of the day, and the media, you know they're going to have a field day with this. If there is one increase, a 1% increase in the number of cases of COVID-19 in Georgia, they are going to jump all over the governor down there, Brian Kemp. Now, Georgia opened up today, and word is, the story coming with USA Today out of Atlanta, is that hair salons were booked up with clients today. Barbers had a constant flow of customers today, and at least one gym, one fitness center, saw more than 40 people inside working out before noon today. That was the scene today in Georgia, when many businesses reopened for the first time in more than a month. Now, Governor Kemp, Brian Kemp down there, uh, who defeated Stacey Abrams. And you can understand why he's being attacked, because she was a Democratic darling. Be mindful, she could be a VP candidate. That would be scary. But Kemp, of course, announced earlier this week that uh, gyms, uh, tattoo parlors, hair and nail salons, massage therapists, and other businesses could be reopened. He got a ton of criticism. But it appears today, according to the story this afternoon in USA Today, that uh, salon and barbershop owners said today there was no shortage of clients either uh, are eager to get back and support their businesses. And I think you will see the same thing happen in Utah as we slowly and carefully, as we're doing, uh, lift the restrictions and bring more and more people back in. Businesses is, business is starving the economy. We're choking ourselves, and hopefully we can get this going. All right, speaking of the economy, what are Utah plans to bring business back? We'll talk about that next on the Rod Arquette Show. Upper 60s to near 70 degrees. A nice weekend ahead. I'm Sterling Polson for KUTV 2 News. Continuing our coverage of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic each and every day, giving you the best information we can and the best analysis out there right now with Glenn, Rush, Sean, myself. It's our number three of the Rod Arquette Show. Welcome back. We are live every afternoon. We are local every afternoon. And, of course, uh, you can take us anywhere you want with the iHeartRadio app. So we invite you to do that as well. All right. Welcome back. 
Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll have our Listen Back Friday segments for you. We do that every Friday, and uh, we've got some great interviews we uh, aired earlier this week, and we invite you to listen to those as we'll get a chance to play those back for you. But as the uh, state moves closer and closer to May 1st, that is the date that the uh, governor announced, uh, what was it, last week, in hopes of trying to slowly reopen this economy. The uh, governor's panel, which was assigned to balance the economic concerns with public health, is now advising the governor to move and let's begin the process of opening up the uh, Utah economy. And joining us on our newsmaker line right now, a member of that panel, State Senator Dan Hemmert. Senator Hemmert, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Nothing against my wife's great cooking, Senator Hemmert, but uh, I don't know about you. I'm ready to go out and have a good meal at a restaurant. How close are we getting to that? You know, we're trying. So the good news is Utah meets or exceeds uh, all the federal guidelines and the CDC guidelines um, toward taking that next step. And that's not, you know, I, we don't, I don't like the words opening the economy or closing the economy. That's not, it's going to be a transition, right? But Utah is well positioned to um, take a step where, yeah, we can eat at restaurants. Maybe it's outside and the servers are probably wearing masks and gloves and they're probably wiping down the spaces frequently and the tables are probably further apart than they have been in the past. But, but, but yes, I think we're, I think, I think, we're ready to, to, to do that in a safe way. Dan, uh, the commission, of course, gave the, uh, I understand, looked at a number of steps to be taken, some guidelines that you've recommended the governor to consider. Can you share what, what a few of those guidelines include, Dan? Yeah, and it's all public, so anyone can go look at it. But it's essentially the guidelines with some more detail in the governor's Utah Leads Together 2.0 plan. I mean, basically what we looked at was where is the number? Where are the numbers in the state? Where, what's our ICU intensive care unit capacity at? What's the transmission rate? Uh, you know, and, and what's the number of people who are getting hospitalized? And we're looking at that kind of data to say, does it appear that the curve has been flattened such that we're not going to overburden our hospitals? Because remember, that's why we're staying home and staying safe so that we don't overburden those hospitals. And we're saying it looks like the data in Utah, at least, looks like um, we're in a position where we could move, we could transition away from the full stay home, stay safe to a a lighter version of stay home, stay safe, which we're calling a level of orange if we're in a red level now. And some of those guidelines, and to be specific about restaurants, since you asked about that initially, it is. It's that tables are six feet apart. Now, now, some folks say they should be 10 feet apart, and that's, you know, whatever it is, it is. We, we recommended six feet because that's the Center for Disease Control's recommendation. Um, but, you know, uh, the governor or whomever can, can make whatever distinction they think is necessary there, but that's one of them. Tables should be six feet apart. Another is that no more than 10 people should be at any table um, because, again, that's one of the CDC mm-hmm. gu- yeah. guidelines. Don't have gatherings of more than 10. Okay, so let's keep no table can seat more than 10 at max. Um, another one is that the servers wear a face mask, you know, so they're not transmitting if they happen to be sick. Another one is uh, making sure your employees are not symptomatic. That's not necessarily saying they're getting tested every day, but that's if they're showing up and they're coughing and they have a runny nose and they have a fever, you need to send that person home. They can't work that day. Um, and so that's a guideline. Some of them are kind of common sense, like that one. That should be yeah. common sense, especially in a restaurant, whether there's a pandemic or not. 
but that is one of the guidelines uh, that, that we've, we've uh, adopted as a commission. Dan, how challenging is it, has it been to put these guidelines together, knowing what we're facing? How big of a challenge has it been? Um, so the nice thing is, is, is we don't actually have to, have to put them together. There's great organizations out there like Department of Health, uh, Governor's Office of Management of, of Budget. Um, those guys are really uh, doing the heavy lifting. Kempsey Gardner Institute, Levitt Partners, uh, some private you know, organizations. The, the, putting these guidelines together has been a massive, massive effort. The, you know, the Governor's Task Force for, for Economic, I, I don't, I'm going to get the, right, the name slightly wrong, but it's the one mm-hmm. that Derek Miller chairs. Um, there has been a massive amount of work going into this, uh, these guidelines. And, and for, the, for the commission that I'm on, the nice thing is, is, is we get them handed to us, we look through them, we get to make some comments and make some tweaks. But uh, the heavy lifting is going on by numerous agencies, numerous private organizations, trade groups that are all coming together. And it, it's actually um, been miraculous to see how well everybody's come together, everybody's worked together to come up with these guidelines. They're, they're very um, detailed, and they're very long. And the amount of work that's gone into, I mean, if you try to put a man hour on it, it, it it's, it's wow. thousands upon thousands of man hours that have gone yeah. into creating, creating these guidelines. Yeah. What data do you think has been the most important for the commission to look at? I mean, a- actually, some of the data is pretty obvious, like the number of deaths, number of people hospitalized, number of people testing positive. But has there been other data that you've really taken a look at and said this is going to help in making our decision as well? The, the two pieces that, for me at least, have been most meaningful is intensive care unit capacity. Um, you know, at what, you know, because again, that's what we're trying to avoid. That's why we're trying to plan the curve. So, what's our capacity? And in Utah, it's really high. So, we're not anywhere near uh, overwhelming our hospital. So, that's one piece of data that to me has been super important. The other one has been the transmission rate. And we're looking at a proxy for transmission rate, which we're calling, uh, it's, a, it's a lagging 14-day period of hospitalization rates. The reason we're looking at that rather than just how many people are testing positive is because we have massively increased the number of tests. So I got tested on Monday. I went to safeutah.com, testutah.com, filled out the survey, um, and went and had a test on Monday. I tested negative, thankfully. But... Um, and, and got the results back on Tuesday and, and got a negative test result. But as we test more and more people, you're going to see more and more people testing positive. So the number of positive tests isn't a good proxy, but how many of those people were actually so sick they needed to go to the hospital? And, that's, and, and then we're using that as a proxy for transmission rate. How many people are actually getting, getting ill, ill to the level they need to go to the hospital? And that's, that's been a super important test. And that's actually been one of the gatekeeping uh, metrics we've used. We wanted a transmission rate below one, one to one, meaning for every person we were that person was infecting to the level where they are are ill to the to the extent they need to go to the hospital. Less than one person, and we we are below that that number right now in Utah. And those two those two data points to me have been um, have been the most meaningful to look at. On our Newsmaker line, State Senator Dan Hemmert. He's a member of one of the governor's commissions taking a look at reopening the economy here in the state of Utah. All right, when we come back, why did the world really shut down for coronavirus when we've had so many other viruses in this country over the decades? Why is this one different? We'll talk about that next right here on the Friday afternoon edition of the Rod Arquette Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. To better days ahead. It's still your love, our passion, and nothing can change that. Not now, 
not ever. It's Think Rod, it's Friday on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listening, you'll know the Rod Arquette Show. I don't know about you, but I know the days seem to be running together, but I'm ready for a weekend again, and it is just around the corner after we wrap up the show. Hopefully, you'll be able to uh, find ways to entertain yourself and enjoy this weekend. The weather's supposed to be great. All right, uh, you know, the question that keeps coming up is... Why did the world shut down for coronavirus? I mean, the world in the past has faced so many other viruses like Ebola, like SARS, like MERS. So why has coronavirus been so different? Well, joining us on our newsmaker line to talk about that right now is Kaylee Rogers. She is the uh, politics reporter at 538.com. Kaylee, thanks for joining us. You've covered health stories for a long, long time, but this coronavirus and reaction to it has been different from others. What have you found out? Well, right. So I wanted to take a look and kind of compare some of the different attributes of these different outbreaks because, as you mentioned, we all remember SARS, we remember Ebola, and it didn't really shut everything down in the same way. So there's got to be something that's different about uh, this virus. And so I wanted to just take a look at some of the previous ones, what was tough about them and what was manageable about them and, and see how that compares. Um, a couple of things that are different with, with SARS and, and MERS, for example, those ones were um, pretty severe if you actually contracted them, but they didn't spread as easily. Um, they didn't spread sort of just sort of casually person to person, and you couldn't spread them when you weren't symptomatic, which is a big difference with this current outbreak. We know that people can share it even if they're not feeling sick yet. And so that, those are some of the main differences there. Uh, with swine flu, if you remember swine flu in, in 2009, oh, yeah. That one spread really easily, just as easily as this is spreading. Um, but it wasn't as deadly. Now, it did end up killing a lot of people because it spread so far, but because it wasn't deadly uh, as much on a, a person-to-person level, we were able to manage it a little better because it wasn't sort of overwhelming our healthcare system in the same kind of way. And then with Ebola, um, you know, that's another one that's really severe, but again, really hard to contract. You can't get it person-to-person, really. It's only if you're having contact with those bodily fluids like blood or sweat or urine. So if you're caring for someone who's really sick or dealing with the body of someone who's died from Ebola, then you're at risk. But just, you know, talking to someone at the office, not not so likely. <laughs> Kaylee, so do we know why uh, COVID-19, as you, as you mentioned, is so contagious and at the same time so deadly? Do we know why? You know, there's still a lot of questions to be answered because it's a new pathogen that we haven't had a chance to study yet. So scientists are trying to figure that out. Um, There's some theories about, you know, the way that it attaches in the body, if there's something special about the virus itself. Um, But some some of those just basics of how the virus spreads and the differences there are, are part of the problem. As I said, the fact that you can share it without being symptomatic makes it really hard to control because you you don't know if you're spreading it, you don't know if the person you're talking to is spreading it, and so it makes it really difficult to try to clamp that down. And it's why we've had to do these sort of dramatic measures like social distancing and and closing things down because it's really the only way we can get a, a, a grip on it. Kaylee, I have never heard anybody like you just explained to us. You did a great job in explaining the difference between SARS and the swine flu and COVID-19. I have not heard Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks do it in the same way. And I think if they would have done it that way, I think more and more people 
really would have understood what's going on here with COVID-19. Would you agree or disagree with that? Because I haven't heard them explain this as clearly as you did, Kaylee. Well, I appreciate that. I did, you know, in my story, I, I included a quote from Dr. Fauci from a, it was more of a scientific panel he did. And so, he, you know, he might be focusing on different things and sort of the daily briefings, but he's very, uh, you know, well-informed on this. And, and if we were to, to ask him directly, I'm sure he could pinpoint those differences. I mean, we, what we've got here is kind of a unique virus that's sort of in a, an unfortunate sweet spot with how transmissible it is, but also how deadly it is. And that's a bad combination, makes it difficult to control, and, and we're really just trying to learn as much as we can about it so that we can try to prevent it from, from spreading further and, and killing more people. How closely is COVID-19 to the ones you have mentioned? Uh, we're talking about SARS, MERS, the swine flu. Is COVID close to any of these other uh, pandemics or any of these other flu viruses that we've had to face? Well, it's interesting, actually. So SARS and MERS both are other types of coronaviruses. And so they're, they're all part of this same family. And it's kind of fascinating in a way how different they can be, even if they're part of the same family. You know, so uh, the, the sort of original SARS, uh, that the first time we saw it was the SARS coronavirus. And this one is actually SARS coronavirus 2. So they're very similar. It just so happens that this one is, is spreading a little easier and, and seems to be able to be transmitted without symptoms, which is different than the, the first SARS that we saw. So even when a virus is really similar to one we've seen before, they can have these, these sort of dramatic differences that make all the difference. You're right. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Kaylee, that COVID-19 can be spread by people without symptoms even. Is that why this social distancing is so critical? Right. So that, that's the biggest thing that it's sort of our, our best sort of blunt force weapon at this time because there was such a delay on testing and everything without being able to know who's got it and who's spreading it. The, the best sort of measure we could we could use right now is to just stop everybody from moving around as much as possible. That's going to bring down the number of people spreading it without knowing it, the number of people getting it without knowing it, and give us a chance to sort of catch up and, and roll out more testing, do some more studying, see if there are treatments that can help reduce the severity. If you do get infected, maybe eventually we'll get to a vaccine. This is sort of just a, an effort to buy us time while we're dealing with this outbreak. As you're right, Kaylee, you know, you've reported on health long enough to know that just because a pathogen is new doesn't necessarily mean there's a crisis here. Are you surprised at how this COVID-19 has been treated? I mean, honestly, I think all of us are experiencing something we've never lived through before. Uh, you know, this is something that we haven't encountered since the, the 1918 flu epidemic. Uh, as far as this level of severity, this level of fatality that's associated with something. So it's new for all of us, right? And and we've seen other outbreaks before. We've been through SARS, we've been through Ebola, and this is just on a different level. So I think we're all 
learning how to cope with that and, and hoping that this is a, you know, once in a century thing, not something that we'll have to see anytime soon. Kaylee Rogers with 538.com. She is the uh, political and technical reporter at 538, taking a look at why the world shut down for COVID-19, but not other viruses like Ebola or even the swine flu. All right, when we come back on the router. Over 250 different devices. Here when you need us and always free. Download the iHeartRadio app now. Rod Arquette Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Uh, the weekend is here. I know it's still, we can't typically go out and do the things we enjoy doing on weekends, like taking in a movie or uh, enjoying a great meal at a restaurant, but things are coming, folks. We'll see what next weekend is going to be like, because I think a lot of people are starting to target May 1st, at least here in the state of Utah, of opening up some things. We'll have to wait and see. All right, time for our List Back Friday segments. This is an opportunity for us to look back over the week, select two of the interviews that we thought were most interesting, and play those back for you just in case you may have missed them. We spoke earlier this week with Kate Sweeney. Kate is a professor of psychology at UC Riverside there in California. She's considered one of the most foremost experts on worry. And as I began my conversation with Kate earlier this week, I talked about everything that's going on during this pandemic, including worry about people losing a loved one, getting sick, losing a job, losing out on the many of the things that we enjoy. And I asked, does worry play into all of these, Kate? Uh, yes, if all of the above is an option, then I'm going with that. I think that the difficult thing with this time is that it presents so many uncertainties. So we don't know if we will get sick, if we will have loved ones who get sick, how long this will last, the effect this will have in the long term, you know, how it might affect politics or the election. So there are just so many uncertainties, most of which we can do almost nothing about. And that is a really tough place to find ourselves in. You hear words tossed around like worry, stress, anxiety. Are they interchangeable or are they distinct in many ways? People use them in slightly different ways. Uh, I think of stress as by far the broadest of those terms. So almost anything can be stressful physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, whereas anxiety gets a bit more specific, and that's kind of the emotional piece where if you feel that sense of fear or dread, that kind of pit of the stomach feeling, we would call that anxiety. Worry gets a little more in the head, so it often has anxiety as a piece of it, but it's also the constant repetitive thoughts about what might happen in the future. If a person is able to recognize the difference between what we just talked about, is it easier for them to deal with it? And if so, how? That's an interesting question. I think worry in some ways is the easiest one to tackle, not that it's easy to tackle, because you have some thoughts that you can work with. When it comes to anxiety, sometimes it's very hard to even know where it's coming from. You just feel this kind of free-floating sense of dread. Um, And stress, you know, is kind of a natural reaction to something like we're experiencing worry, you can kind of work with it and kind of team up with your worry and figure out, you know, is it telling you you should be doing something different? Is it just bothering you for no good reason and you need to find a way to quiet it down? But that's the one I think you can target most effectively. And can worry be productive in an odd sort of of way? Absolutely. Yeah. Just like all of our emotions, worry kind of has something to tell us when it comes up. Uh, And with worry specifically, it's a really useful signal that we might need to look out for something coming up ahead and ideally try to prevent it. 
I think one of the hardest things about periods of time like this and the other kinds of uncertainties that I study is that worry kind of can't do its job. So it's trying to tell you, hey, look out, bad things are coming, but you can't really do anything about it. And so suddenly you just have this, you know, counterproductive spinning in your mind that isn't really pushing you in any direction. Uh-huh. What suggestions do you have for people who are worried right now? I mean, you know, wash your hands. Can, can you overcome that worry by doing certain things? You know, maybe. Um, again, if you kind of uh, think of your worry not as just uh, sort of a point of misery, but actually something that's trying to help you, then, you know, you might run a mental checklist. Am I doing everything I can to stay safe, you know, save money, make sure my loved ones are protected, whatever it is that's the focus of your worry in that moment. But, you know, honestly, probably many of us are already doing everything we can. And so once you kind of hit that point, then you really need to think about ways to just quiet that worry down. And we've found a couple ways you can do that. Um, really good distractions are really my best suggestion. And are, are you talking like reading a book, watching a television show, what, going for a walk on the beach or just out for a walk? What do you suggest? Yeah, so... Um, those actually are not what I would recommend exactly, although really, they certainly really? can be relaxing. Yeah, so, you know, lots of good things can come from just sitting around watching TV, reading a book. I'm doing all of those things. Um, but the things that we know are most effective are actually activities that challenge you a little bit where you can track your progress. Those put you in this state we call flow, which is the super absorbed state where you kind of lose time, lose your sense of self, and it really quiets the mind. Um, but that's not going to be your average everyday relaxing activity. That's going to be something, again, that's a little bit challenging, that's pushing you a little bit, where you can kind of see that you're making progress. Can you explain that again? Because I saw that uh, that reference or that statement about, I guess, flow state. What exactly mm-hmm. is that and how does that help us? Yeah, so, um, I mean, what exactly it is, is just that kind of feeling you get when you're so into an activity that the time just flies by. You completely lose your sense of the world around you, of even your own thoughts and you're just all in, video games are really custom-made for this because they do (laughs) get harder as we get better, Uh, and really any gamified kind of activity. So, like, I use Duolingo to learn Spanish, um, and that's a, you know, language-learning task, but it's really gamified where you can see your progress, and it, you know, gives you little dings and whistles when you do things right and, you know, bad sounds when you do things wrong, and that's the kind of task where we really get into that flow state, that really fully absorbed state. Um, and why it's helpful is, frankly, it passes the time, and it, it keeps you out of your head a little bit in a way that, you know, sitting around watching Netflix can be really relaxing, but if your mind is chewing on some kind of worry, it's probably not going to be enough to pull you out of that. And you say video games, and I'm horrible at video games. It was but <laughs> it was but after my time, Kate, and I'm just horrible. Adam, I, are you talking about uh, things like playing games, doing puzzles? I notice puzzles are a latest craze out there because it kind of distracts people. Are those the things you're talking about? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, games, puzzles. Um, frankly, again, anything that you find a little challenging and you see yourself making progress. So I've been seeing, like, everyone on Twitter is baking bread, apparently. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder, you know, if people are kind of reaching for that task because it, it's a little harder than the average, you know, kitchen task. Um, and I, I'm seeing people cook or bake, uh, you know, loaf after loaf and kind of brag about how they're getting better at it or challenging themselves more. That sounds a lot like flow to me. So I think people might be not, you know, unknowingly finding flow through that activity. Does turning off the world and just trying to, you know, just get away from all the noise, does that help in any way? 
I think it can. Um, I'm certainly finding that challenging myself. Uh, you know, and to some extent, you know, there are other concerns you might have, like keeping up with the news to make sure you know the latest recommendations and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I do think that I'll speak for myself. I go way beyond the point of usefulness when it comes to, you know, obsessing about headlines and, you know, frantically looking at Twitter to see what everyone's saying. So I, I think that there's a balance to be found between keeping up to speed and not, you know, beating your worry too much. Has the worry level increased because we are so immersed in information anymore? I mean, it comes at us on our phones, our computers, over the radio, over TV, and it's constant. It's 24-7, unlike it was in the past. Is that playing a role in all of this, do you think, Kate? Because, you know, you almost can't get away from it anymore. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I, I get asked that question a lot, but usually more in just the day-to-day, like, is our attention span completely fractured? To that, I would say, I think we both uh, have a more fractured attention span, but also have tools now, like in our pocket, to keep ourselves occupied and distracted. You know, pull up Candy Crush mm-hmm. on your phone, and you can suddenly pass a bunch of time in a waiting room in a way you maybe didn't used to. However, when it comes to a time like this, where, you know, the headlines are pretty much all bad, <laughs> uh, I do think that the onslaught of information is probably um, keeping our worries more at the front of our minds. The challenge we face in this country, if we get on top of this thing, and if we try and return to a bit of normalcy in our lives, I think fear and worry, we've got to get over those before we can even take that step. Uh, would you agree? And if so, how, how do we get there, Kate? Yeah, I think it's a really important question. I've thought a lot about that just for myself, even, you know, where when will I ever feel comfortable being in a crowd again after all of this? Oh, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, you know, and so I agree, I agree with you. I think that there's going to be a, a pretty intense psychological battle to fight beyond just the, you know, the sort of policies and regulations that we might need to continue adjusting as this thing evolves. Um, I don't have any great grand suggestions for that, except that I think the good news is I watched us all, uh, you know, really as a global society react very quickly in a way that I don't think I would have seen coming when the problem began. And so I'm optimistic that if we could make that kind of major adjustment, we'll be able to adjust back to something that feels much more normal um, in, you know, in good time. It will take some time, but I think we'll get there. As part of our Listen Back Friday segment, our conversation earlier this week with a professor of psychology at the University of California in Riverside, Kate Sweeney, talking about worry. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about teleworking. What kind of challenges and promises do that present? That's coming up on our Listen Back Friday segment in Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9. Solutions Radio, Saturdays at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. We call it Listen Back Friday. And it airs every Friday in the final half hour of the show on the Rod Arkent Show in Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know. All right, welcome back. Boy, working from home. Let's see, I've done it now for about five weeks. We're wrapping up our fifth week right now, and a lot of you are doing that out there. Well, what about working from home? What about the challenges and promises that working from home may hold for all of us? It may change the workplace in general as a result of COVID-19. Earlier this week, we spoke with Peter Reichert. Peter is president of the Utah Foundation. And even before this started, the Utah Foundation started studying it. And I asked Peter in our conversation earlier this week, what gave his foundation an idea to look at teleworking? Well, we originally were undertaking a study as part of our work looking at telecommuting in the context of air quality issues. And we'll continue to do that with the follow-up report 
later this year. Um, but we went ahead and broke out a portion of the research um, because we thought it would be useful to people now. So that was the re- recently released work away from work. What we found a lot of interesting things. Yeah, what are some of those interesting things that you found, Peter? Uh, well, first of all, um, we believe that what's going to happen now is, you know, we've seen a steady trend toward telework as the, as technology has made it more and more feasible already. Um, but we think what's going to happen after this um, this crisis passes is that we will, you know, teleworking will go back down, but it will go back down to a new high. And then it will continue on an up, upward trajectory, and in, increasingly, increasingly, we think it'll be an expected, almost benefit of of jobs for many jobs out there. Um, and one of the reasons for that is a that um, the employees see it as as a quality of life enhancement in many cases, and the employers are realizing that uh, a number of their employees can be a lot, lot more productive. And so uh, there's kind of a, a benefit on on both. Of course, and if you're an employer and you have less people on, under your roof at any given time, then you might be able to save on um, on workspace as well. I'm surprised on the productivity issue, uh, Peter, because I've always thought people working from home aren't as productive as they would be if they're in the office and somebody is watching them. But your study found it different. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, whether you're managing them well and keeping people task-oriented. So the state of Utah actually had a teleworking pilot program in place, Mm -hmm. um, which is now expanding. Um, And during that pilot program, they found a 20% increase in employee productivity. And that really mirrors things that we're seeing all around the country, both in public and private sector settings. Um, now, you can have um, work settings in which you really need a collaborative um, activity going on, and in those cases, you might want to limit the amount of telework, or it might not work at all. And in fact, depending on what type of economy you have or, or business you have, um, you'll, you know, there's more or less promise related, related to uh, telework. What kind of uh, challenges uh, does this teleworking have for managers? What kind of new challenges are presented? Well, I think one of the things is to make sure that workers are engaged. Um, And engaged workers are productive workers. Engaged workers are workers that are going to tend to um, buy into whatever the enterprise is, whether it's public or uh, private sector, and they're going to produce better work and they're going to produce it in a more timely fashion. Um, and so if you, if you fail to engage your workers by failing to communicate with them on a regular basis or communicate with them in a way that engages them, then you're going to certainly run into problems. And, of course, there may be cases where individual people, their personality type maybe doesn't work for a telework arrangement. But, but by and large, technology is allowing the employers to overcome those things. And, and we actually we don't want to overstate um, the issues of disconnection mm-hmm, isolation, mm-hmm. because um, what we've the, the the data we've seen shows that the people who work remotely three to four days a week, um, they're actually the most likely of all employees to strongly agree that they're being engaged and their needs related to development and relationships are already being met. So that's kind of counterintuitive, but um, it. <laughs> <laughs> 
those are the results. Does, does age matter uh, when it comes to teleworking? Because I would consider myself to be one of those old geezers, Peter, and I've been working from <laughs> home now for five weeks. It took a little, uh, you know, a little adjustments, but now uh, I don't have a problem with it. I seem to be doing just fine working from home, and I'm wondering if, if the older end of the job market have a more difficult time working with it than the younger end of that, uh, of that demographic. Well, you know, I, I think that the comfort level with the technology is going to tend to be a factor. And, of course, it's all about habits. Um, and really, right now, we're in, a, as a result of, of this coronavirus crisis, um, we're in the process of forming a lot of new habits right now as we speak. And those, mm-hmm. those, those will have um, ripple effects beyond just the workplace. Um, and so, yeah, I guess uh, if you believe in the adage that it's hard to t- teach an old dog new tricks, there might be <laughs> something to your question. <laughs> but, but but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we end up we end up getting into a re- routine, and um, and uh, and and we tend to just adjust. Yeah. And uh, again, it really depends on what kind of um, job you have. And it depends on, obviously, if you're working in manufacturing or you're working in biotech and you need to be in a lab or something, you know, there, there, there may be some, um, in the latter case, there may be some tele- teleworking that you can do, but... At some point, you're also going to have to be in that lab working yeah. in a collaborative yeah. way. Well, I'm fortunate. I have uh, a daughter-in-law around who can answer any of the technical questions I need answered, Peter. So it makes my life a little good. bit easier. Final question for you, Peter. I know it's way too early to tell this, but any idea how this is going to affect the worst pl- workplace down the road within the next year, maybe even five years now? Well, yeah, we do. We do think that um, it will. Uh, employees will be looking for this as. Um, part of the employment package increasingly, the ability to work from home, to save money and time on commuting. Um, and, you know, th- those who have been through this experience and find that they like it and find that it gives them um, a better work experience, a better quality of life, you know, when they go out on the job market, um, they're certainly going to be looking for those opportunities. And so employers will have to be uh, tuned into that. As part of our Listen Back Friday segment, our conversation earlier this week with Peter Reichert, president of the Utah Foundation, talking about the promises and challenges of working from home. All right, that does it for us tonight. As we say each and every night, head up, shoulders back. May God bless you and your family this weekend. Weather's going to be great. Get outside and enjoy it if you can. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new edition of the Rod Arquette Show. Have a good weekend, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.